But I think that's very low effort, just like picking on one thing. It's not like I would pick on Jane for being old all the time, would I? So... <laughs> oh, we were having a nice conversation there, Dad, and you ruined it. everybody and welcome to another episode of the Bake Down podcast. You are joining us for our series for throwback series where we are going back to Howard series and having a look at all the lovely bakes from that series. We are on episode five today which is biscuits and tray bakes week and with me as always we have the lovely Jane, Dan and Howard. So hello everybody, how are we all doing today and what did we think of biscuits and tray bakes week? What, what what was it about biscuits and tray bakes? And why put the two together? I didn't get this. And can you can you could you tell watching it that I didn't get this? First of all, I have to say, went in on that first day and I got a terrible hangover. So I do look a bit green, and I'm thinking, oh, it's not too bad because actually my tray bake's quite simple to do. But but when we were set the the brief in the first place, I thought it had to be a biscuity tray bake because it seemed to me that it was biscuit week. And you something to do like, oh, I'll just do a bakewell, a square bakewell tart. Oh, I'll just do a cake in a square tin. It's like, what? What's this about? This this seems to be a theme, Howard. You mi- misunderstanding the briefs, or or maybe they're not telling you all the information beforehand. Is it becoming clearer as you watch it back? But when you have no frame of reference, you don't know. And this is the thing: is that quite a, a few times I'd gone into the tent thinking that we were all going to do something, and and nobody else seemed to really have the same idea. So I do feel your pain. But yeah, it's only when you compare the, to everyone else, you're like, oh yeah, why did why did you do a flapjack? What was that about, Howard? What was going on? I just, I just thought somebody else will do a millionaire shortbread, something with with a biscuit. But I thought I'm going to rule that one out. I ruled out kind of Rocky Road because I thought that's going to be too complicated to do. But actually, Glenn did a, a really good job, I thought, of, of a, a, a tip-in tip kind of Rocky yeah. Road type thing. It never occurred to me that anything done in a square tin basically becomes a tray bake. Well, that was the brief uh, given to the viewers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we get given the brief, they usually put a little line of pictures at the top to to sort of illustrate what they're talking about. Didn't oh, you yeah, not have a that. range of... Not at all. I checked, because I have I still got the brief, and it was just two lines, and it basically said, uh, a tray bake that can be cut into squares, and it has to be sweet. And that was it. No, no illustrations or nothing. And then what really riled me was that, you know, when they're ne- uh, at the beginning, when Mel and Sue describe what they want us to bake, <laughs> and it said, and Mary, Mary and, and Paul would very much like everything you make to be made from scratch. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got a bit of grapefruit marmalade in this. It never said, it never said you had to, <laughs> had to make everything from scratch in the brief. I was going to ask, because I, when he said grapefruit marmalade, I was like, how on earth is he going to do that in the time? And the answer is, you didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but boy, did Mary go mad about that. I mean, did it she? Was, yeah, I thought it was in the final edit, but it wasn't. She, oh, the, the, repeatedly, you had two hours, you could have made your own marmalade. And it was like, I no. don't know. So it, it was interesting, actually, because obviously I'm not going to give away which week I leave at this point. <laughs> but... That week, I actually made a, a pot of grapefruit marmalade and sent it to the remaining bakers for their their breakfast. Oh, like that's a little, so sweet. <laughs> so already full of stress before we even start. Yeah. Which is interesting because in the little talking heads at the beginning before the signature, you say that you're feeling quite calm. So let's start with our signature challenge, which, as we've just discussed, was a tray bake to be cut into identical slices. And I think we've sort of established now that Mary's idea of a tray bake is something baked in a tray. So there we go. Who knew? Mm. We had two hours for this challenge and we had a nice range 
of tray bakes. We had brownies, we had a lot of bakewells, and we had some sort of banoffee, uh, millionaire shortbread, and Howard's flapjack style tray bake. I think yours sounded really <laughs> nice, actually, like a chunky flapjack. It had the signature Howard twist of hints of health to it, uh, which, you know, good for the bowel movements and a little bit of fruit in there. <laughs> Oh, it's a little early in the day for that. So they were going to talk about Howard's bowel movement. Bit of fibre. Um, no, but um, I thought yours sounded really nice, actually, very delicious. But I did think immediately, oh, it's quite simple, Howard. That is quite, yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. And I tried to kind of make it look more arty by masking off strips and then doing that kind of yoghurt drizzle over the top. And it completely disappeared, didn't it? Mm. It was like... I loved your little sad face. You were like, yeah, what's happened there is it's just all melted with the heat. (laughs) (laughs) I like the comment, it's a simple bake. Do it. It's very me. You know, a simple Howard. Oh, Oh, bless you, darling. I wouldn't have thought you were simple at all. I think you also described uh, your baking style as rustic as well, which is quite nice as well. Simple and rustic. Oh, yes, that as well. Mm. Again, I, ju- I just think even at this point, I suppose in in subsequent series, people have have got the message that actually they want to see a range of skills and they want you to show off a little bit, even though it's supposed to be a kind of everyday signature bake. Yeah. Mm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I quite got that at that point. Well, Mary said at the beginning, oh, I want each layer to complement the rest. And I thought, they didn't mention layers. No, they didn't, they didn't say tell layers. you. Lots yeah. of layers. And I'm thinking, oh, dear. It, yes. If I counted correctly, I think three or four people did sort of a Bakewell slice style cake, didn't they? So, but was it only one did pastry and everyone else just did sort of cake? Yeah, I believe it was Ruby that did uh, some pastry on the bottom of her Bakewell and everybody else either did a cake or a biscuit. Yeah, well, I think Ruby sort of gave herself a lot to do uh, with the pastry as well. But I think the Bakewell slice is a good idea because it's sort of like, you know, you've got a layer of jam, you've got a layer of cake, showing off different skills and it's something that I quite like. One of the things that you guys may not have noticed, or maybe you have, is that there's quite a few bakes that are sort of signature British bakes that I don't even think of as being a British thing because they're just the food that we grew up with. But yeah, Bakewell slice, Bakewell tart, it's not, not common outside of England at all, is it? So I thought it was quite nice that we had a very English... Uh, style tray bake that lots of people went for. So so I thought that was nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love a Bakewell. I mean, it's always very popular when we do classes with Bake with a Legend, the Bakewells. It never ceases to amaze me just how how often we fill those classes up. I would have thought everybody in, in Northern Hemisphere has done the Bakewell tart class, but it's, <laughs> so, it's really popular and always really successful as well. So, yeah, it's like we have people always knock the English, don't they, for having rotten food? Or they certainly always used to. Or was it just the French used to say that we couldn't cook? I don't know. But we have got some lovely bakes. And and Bakewells are one of them, actually. So I was delighted to see. Millionaire shortbread. Who who invented millionaire shortbread, do you suppose? Scottish. The Scottish invented it. Well, they invented the shortbread. Did they put the caramel on it? No, no, no. They did invent millionaire. I don't know if they invented shortbread. But they they popularised shortbread, but I don't know if they invented it. They definitely ah. invented the millionaire shortbread. That's definitely a Scottish thing. Yes, 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 yes. That's still the UK. That still counts. We are good, aren't we? <laughs> we are. Let's cut ourselves We're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we probably invented flapjack as well. In fact, we probably invented it all. <laughs> Let's say we did. Let's say we did. And we're not talking American pancakes, Flapjack. We're talking about the healthy granola oaty thing. Oh, healthy is a stretch, honey. But yes. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All the sugar in there. Something I'd really like to talk about with you guys is Glenn doing marshmallow in two hours. I mean, when he said he was doing marshmallow, there were definitely some raised eyebrows. And then he whisked it all together and shoved it in the freezer. And I thought gelatin was a no-no in the freezer. So what do we think of that? I've never tried to do it in that time frame. Whenever I've made marshmallow, I've just sort of pushed it into a tray and left it for a few hours and come back. I've no idea how quickly it can be done. I don't know about putting it in the freezer at all. I would never put a jelly, or sorry, I'll translate my remarks into English for the Americans, a jello into the, the freezer because that, that will make it sort of go all... I don't know, it's sort of sort of breaks down and becomes like almost 
gritty lumps of jelly. I don't know what's going on with that. I know that that particular recipe made it into the cookbook for the year. So it I did. just check. I'll have a look. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool oh yes, please yeah. do, Howard. Yes. I, I, mean, I know in one of the series at some point, it might be in a later series than, than this, because, of course, this was a, a while ago now, they were trying to get something to set. And Paul did say, oh, you shouldn't stick it in the freezer because it won't set. But in my year, I made a jelly to go in my Miraglaze cake, not knowing that you shouldn't put jelly in a freezer. And I did set mine in the freezer. It was only a thin layer and it was in there for not very long, but it set brilliantly. And I would say with marshmallow, I, in the past, have been a great fan of Australian MasterChef. If you haven't watched Australian MasterChef, it's, it's a great series. And very feel good, like Bake Off. And people have about three quarters of an hour or an hour to, to produce a dish very often. So they have to get things done really quickly. And people have certainly made marshmallow in an hour. So it obviously can be done. And, and Glenn proved that it could be done because that marshmallow looked fantastic that he made, didn't it? Looked fine, yeah. Beautiful, very bouncy. It just says in here, just with icing sugar, place in the fridge to chill for about an hour until firm. So they... According to this, they're just putting it in the fridge for an hour. Oh. Well, there Send you us go. a screenshot of that recipe, Howard. I'd like that marshmallow mm. recipe. Yeah, I would only ever put it in the fridge. But to be honest, I just leave marshmallow at room temperature. I don't I don't even put it in the fridge. Because the gelatin, it, uh, the temperature helps. Um, but the main factor is time to set gelatin. Now, Howard, once you'd made your tray bake, you took it out of the oven and you seemed to say to whoever was filming, yes, it is a simple bake. So did somebody sort of look at your bake and go, oh, that's a bit simple? I don't know. I think that... <laughs> or were they talking about Howard? <laughs> Possibly both. <laughs> People asking you all the time sort of questions to prompt a bit of discussion. So it, yeah. it was. it's possible that they might have said... Uh, are you adding anything to that or or are you just leaving it as a simple bake or something like that yeah yeah i don't th- i don't think i'm giving too much away to say that yes the the team will just ask you leading questions all the time to make you talk about stuff so often it looks like you're just randomly bringing up things apropos of nothing but no you're being asked questions all the time in the tent aren't you you're asked, being asked to explain everything you put another ingredient in the bowl and they're like do you want to tell us what you're doing and you're like i believe it would be self-evident but they want to they want to hear it (laughs) (laughs) and you also have to speak in sentences because you don't have so you can't hear the person who's asking the question so if they they say well how many children have you got you go four which i have yeah and they go but four is very random (laughs) i have got four children let's go back to jane four No, that's Jade, which is on the golf course. Four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Sarah, you're quick this morning. Very quick. <laughs> Thank you. I'm quick always. I'm hysterical. I just never get a chance to say anything I'm when you're sorry. around. Now. I know. <laughs> uh, love to you all. Howard, I've really enjoyed another sort of classic Howard moment. Um, it's like when you were making the Petit Fours, you said something about like, Oh, I'm going to make it about cheese and biscuits. It's a cheesy biscuit. Well, I enjoyed another one that we had this What's week where, where you said, it's a breakfast tray bake and I'll be displaying it on a breakfast tray. <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. Oh. I don't think Paul, Paul didn't like that tray. He said it no. he'd been in hospital at some point. So I thought, oh, I didn't want to... Think about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope you didn't get marked down for your tray. That would have been terrible. It's a bit hard to avoid that, isn't it? How are you to know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to talking about the different bakes we had. We had a lovely sort of mixed berry and almond crumble from Christine, which looked beautiful. Love a berry crumble. What about Kimberly? Can I ask you, Howard, this? Were you still at the station tent where you were trying other people's food or did you not not do that really? Because Kimberly's looked fascinating, but although they said the textures worked, I had a hard time imagining how that would be because it had like a Florentine on top and I would have thought it would have all been a bit... Did you try that one? No, we didn't. No. It, oh. it was it was a, a shame really. I don't know oh. if I tried any of these. I did try a little bit of my own, 
And I thought, oh yeah, they're probably right. It is a little bit. It's dodgy. <laughs> what a shame, because we used to try everybody's bakes. They used to bring us some up to the green room while we were waiting. Yeah, we got told that that was only in the later seasons. In the early ones, which I guess that qualifies you, Howard, they didn't get a chance to eat them. And they made a point of making sure the bakers could try each other's bakes if they wanted to. But that's uh, obviously the difference between season four and seven. It's a shame. Did she bake? I was interested in, I thought Kimberly's looked great. Did she bake the Florentine on top, do you know? So, I don't know what she had on the base. I couldn't work it out. I think she just put it on after, didn't she? Did she? I, yeah, I would have thought in order to get that crispiness, it needed to be baked separately, but I don't know. And it stayed perfectly on the top, didn't yes. it? It didn't sink yeah. down, so... I... I don't remember, but I assume she baked the cake fully and then spread it over the top. And maybe it showed us, but I didn't. I didn't see that. But she must have let it cool on there and then cut into squares. That's a fascinating idea. And again, often I feel like I say this in every recording. I would never have thought to have done that. No, me neither. And but actually, so she put in five different types of cherries, didn't she? I didn't even. I couldn't. Well, if you count damson. I don't think I can name five types of cherry. Well, I struggled uh, <laughs> when I was writing it down. I had to keep running it back and seeing what was that. One? So there were three different types in the cake and then she did, with her topping, she had black black cherry and damson. Maybe she stuck on. Maybe she stuck on the Florentine with a bit of that jam or something. I, I just thought it looked really pretty and so neat. I loved it because I love a Florentine as well. I'm, I must just show you, I was, I was just checking to see whether there was another tray bake. The only other tray bake is Mary's tray bake. Ginger cake with white icing on top. That's just cut into squares. Yeah, don't think that's quite the lead thing that that we were thinking of. Well, there's no, two, <laughs> two layers. The glamour. The glamour, Howard. So Kimberly's, I thought, looked great. And I actually, I feel so sorry for Glenn because he yeah. got, um, like, his looked fine. Like, it was, a, it was a man-sized portion. Paul said it looked grotesque. I know, I thought yeah. it was harsh. That was really unfair. It looked lovely. I mean, a good chunky tiffin with marshmallows in it. It was great. I mean, listen, you know I like to say mean things for effect sometimes, just for the lols. But, like, I would never call someone's food grotesque. I just thought that was really unnecessary. I, I agree. I thought it was good that um, hats off to Glenn for actually challenging that. And he sort of said, grotesque. And you could see Paul kind of almost step back a little bit. They were a bit shocked that, that someone had, had challenged <laughs> his words. It was a very gratuitous critique. I didn't, yeah. I just, yeah. Ugh. Do you think people challenge him more these days? Because we were, I know we were all a bit sort of, oh, all right then, Paul, sorry. But people, not this, in this series particularly, but in, in the, the more recent series, since it's been over to Channel 4, it seems like people do challenge Paul a little bit more and stand up to him and, well, and joke a little bit. I did tell him that his challenge was ridiculous. I think people oh. quite enjoyed that. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny how things you say in the tent, like which you do not think of as being big things, get sort of blown up and taken as... Uh, but yeah, I didn't find Paul scary at all. But then I... I mean, uh, Jane will disagree with me vehemently, I'm sure. But I generally find his critiques pretty fair. I, there was never a time when he was like, I don't like it. And I was like, well, I completely disagree with you. I always agreed with his criticisms. So I never really found him scary. I found him quite fair. I can't believe I'm saying that. Oh, why would I disagree with you? I do think he was fair. Uh, and, and I don't think he would give you a comment that actually you couldn't go, yeah, all right, fair cop. That's what it's like. But it wasn't that that scared me. I'm very happy to, to be critiqued. But... I think he'd got this persona. By the time I got there, you know, there's this persona of the silverback gorilla sort of prowling around the tent, glaring at you and sort of shaking his head and raising his eyebrows. From when I look back to these old series, I think he softened in, in the last sort of three or four years. Maybe he had to be in balance with Mary, who on the face of it always said something positive. And now Prue is more straightforward 
I think. Love Prue. And, and perhaps, perhaps he doesn't feel the need to be quite so silverback gorilla. And perhaps he's just getting older and can't, can't be bothered. I think the dynamics are different as well, aren't they? I think if he did say anything sort of really offensive, Prue would be right in there and sort of challenge him, I think. Mary seemed kind of positive and polite about things. She would sort of, you know, be a little bit gentle about her critiques. And so maybe Paul was a, a good contrast there. But yeah, Prue's pretty straightforward. She she didn't I didn't feel like she was sparing your feelings so much as it look as it appeared that Mary used to do. I think Paul's a big fan of the for the television teasing, you know. I know Dan, you've spoken about this before. And maybe possibly that's where the whole Paul's flirting with Ruby and that's the only reason she's getting ahead came from. I mean, it's trashy tabloids, we'll say anything, but he does seem to always be sort of gently teasing Ruby a bit, maybe because she was so down on herself and he knew that he would get a little bit of a rise from her. I don't mean this maliciously at all, but is that maybe flirting? Sort of that's where that came from. Well, you know what the tabloid press is like. They can take anything, can't they? But if, if that's where that came from... And, uh, you know, Paul's a fan of using words like grotesque when it, when he could have just said it's a bit big. Yeah. Well, Paul is a bit of a flirt, actually. I don't like straight men love flirting with gay guys because there's no danger. They just enjoy uh, enjoy the attention. So Paul would flirt with me relentlessly on the show. But um, it's just for fun. Like, it's obviously like it's just but then no one would take that seriously, would they? I didn't feel that Paul was particularly flirting with Ruby. I mean, she was very young. Then, did you think so, Sarah? I, I just didn't think so. And then I didn't. No, it was utterly ridiculous. The papers, you go, really? That, that completely passed me by. Oh, it's crazy. I just think because she was so down on herself and so unconfident, Paul would just sort of, you know, tease her a little bit. Not nothing that he wouldn't had that he hasn't done for other people on previous years. Not that he hasn't like teased Rahul as well, because he was unconfident on your season, Dan. Yeah. I just think it's the tabloid press making something out of nothing. I think also he he, he tends to once he's got something on somebody he tends to use that as, as yeah. something to spark conversation. So the mm. idea that Glenn's very, very busy doing things and have you practice this, and Ruby was very much pigeonholed into, oh, you're winging it all the time, you know. So and Francis is obviously style over substance. So you know he he's got these things that he can talk to people about, really. But I think that's very low effort, just like picking on one thing. It's not like I would pick on Jane for being old all the time, would I? So... <laughs> oh, we were having a nice conversation there, Dad, and you ruined it. Thank you, I know. Sam. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. I'm not going to join in with this one, I don't think, because I could be really mean, and I don't want everybody to see my dark side. <laughs> I'm like, Jane, everyone still thinks you're sweet and lovely. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just go back to our signatures. Uh, we had a few positive comments, especially in Kimberley's. I mean, we've talked about how nice it looked and clearly the judges agreed. Rob's didn't seem to go too well as well. His blueberry orange Tata de Santiago frangipan style Spanish tray bake. Apparently that was underbaked and raw inside. What did you guys think of that? Well, here's the question. Which is a worse insult, stodgy or soggy? I'm thinking soggy is a step in a step even further, isn't it? So uh, whilst, whilst there's a bit of stodge on yours, Howard, I think soggy is never a good look for any kind of cake, is it? No, I, I think stodgy can be just, just how the consistency of the bake, but soggy implies that you've done something technically wrong. I mean, Tarte de Santiago is... It's a, it's a lovely thing. My daughter lives in Spain and it is a, a lovely, lovely thing. So often, though, with these big tray bakes, as I'm sure we all know, you know, very often a recipe will say 30, bake for 30 minutes. But I find, as with a full-size bake or top, because a lot of people tripped up in my series making that in a technical challenge, it, it can take a long time to cook and it can take, you know, certainly not 30 minutes. It can take... 40, 50, sometimes 55, even an hour to get through. And maybe he just ran out of time. 
uh, you know, in the in the tent. Because the, the idea is lovely. I'm not sure I would have put whiskey in the topping, but mascarpone is, is a brilliant topping, I think. So you whipped up this either some cream or, or, or something else just to lighten it. It should have been good. I think perhaps he just didn't bake it long enough and underestimated in the tent how long it would take to bake. So that's our signature challenge. Uh, I think definitely with Kimberly pulling out ahead is doing really well. And I think Christine as well. And Rob and sorry to say Howard, possibly Howard not. Oh not at the top of the list, shall we say. So we move on to our technical challenge where we had to make 18 tweels, nine with a little sort of swirly bullseye pattern and nine rolled into cigars and dipped in chocolate. Uh, an hour and a half for this challenge, so not very long at all. Howard, you've spoken in classes about the dreaded tweel challenge. <laughs> I think it's fair that you go first on this one. Oh, I, well, I, I didn't know what I was doing, did I? Could, did, could you tell? Could you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I was so, so pleased about was that I knew how to make a paper icing, paper piping bag. And mm. it was like, yeah, I know how to do this. Yeah. And, <laughs> I'm watching other people struggling and I'm thinking, I could do well on this one. <laughs> anything else that, that, uh, you know how to how to bake the tweel, how long to bake them. I didn't realise that you can pop them back in. All of those things are, are just a nightmare. In fairness, if it's something you're making for the first time, as is often the case with uh, the technical for people, um, you're bound to make lots of mistakes, aren't you? Especially if you've never never done it before. And twills are fiddly. I mean, I can do them now, but I think my first couple of batches were pretty disastrous so uh, it's just a shame they got captured for national television for you Howard <laughs> <laughs> well Dan that's actually probably a very good segue to briefly talk about our next bake-along class with your lovely self which of course is incorporating both the tray bake and some lovely tweels uh, that's going to be on the Sunday the 2nd of April and that is Dan's Bakewell Tray Bake and Tweel Cigars class so can you tell us a bit about what we're going to be doing? Sure I mean we're going to be going fairly classic I'm just doing a sort of regular Bakewell I am going to do it with pastry so fingers crossed we'll get it done in time ah! but we do have enough time to bake the tweels at the same time or as the French lady always makes fun of our set she's like it's not tweel it's tweel uh, or something like that I don't know it turns out in in baking, we often just say French words with an English accent and she just finds this hilarious. Um, but it... <laughs> I know, well, right? You are English. <laughs> I'm very pan-European, very exotic. Oh, is that what it's called? Okay. No, I'm just English, honey. I did one of those 23 and me. I'm just English. <laughs> but yes, so we will have time to do the twills as well. We're only going to do the cigar-style twills. We're going to dip them in a bit of chocolate and maybe some ha chopped hazelnuts if you like. But I found the key to shaping these, to be honest, is to bring your asbestos hands and we'll just sort of peel them up straight out of the thing and just quickly roll them between your hands. And that, that's how we get them. And they have been shared with the ladies at my coffee morning and they rather enjoyed them. So, um, yeah, I'm pleased with my little my little uh, tray bake. And it just it might be another two and a half hour, I'm afraid, Sarah, because, uh, you know, I mean, I think me and Jane are the worst offenders. We love to squeeze as much as possible in, don't we? We do. I think we value for money but it does sometimes run over doesn't it yeah <laughs> value for oh, is money, that what it's called? That's uh, value, what it's for money. value for I'll money i'll remember that <laughs> so if anybody wants to bring their asbestos hands to a value for money class with dan um on sunday the 2nd of april we'll be doing our fifth class of our bake along challenge with dan's bakewell tray bake and tweel cigars class now back to our technical jane how would you have fared in the tweel challenge well, I don't know, because I've never made them. Because you watch so many cooking programmes now and everybody goes, well, I've made this tweel. And it, they, everybody makes them different ways, don't they? Squidding tweels and something making honey tweels yesterday. So I've never made them. I did look up Mary's recipe well, after I'd watched this and thought, oh, I might like to give them a go. It reminded me of rolling brandy snaps. It did, yes. So I think I would have known you could have put them back in the oven if they got all a bit crisp, because brandy snap you have to put back in if, if they go a bit crispy. Unfortunately for you guys, you had to bake nine in your, yes, nine in your mould. Um, 
Yeah, so Dan is waving a mould at us. Obviously, no one at home can see this because this is a podcast, um, but you get these twill things. I've got some round ones and also some butterfly-shaped ones. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes, they're nice. If you've got a template, they're actually quite easy to make, but you can make them completely by hand. You really, you can just sort of spread the mixture in a circle, but I think the templates definitely would have helped on this challenge. They did have them, didn't they? They did have templates on this challenge. Yeah, but I, when I, right, okay, I'm giving away all my secrets, but normally I will chill the dough right down so it's easier to spread into the moulds but you did not have time for that I assume Howard no, no. Um, well no. We, we didn't know to do that in any case I don't think you oh, probably okay, would have yeah. had time wouldn't you in an hour and a half because it looks as though that dough doesn't take very long to whip up together I'm just feeling so depressed by this now I should have done it I, I, should I have just gone back the following year rather than even attempted to do Bake Off that year I know Howard <laughs> everybody loved you so much and I think we all improve after Bake Off or yeah, hopefully, we do, hopefully we do and also I took I think Jane is the same I applied three times and I practiced you know really hard in between my attempts to get on and I still didn't get any further than you did Howard so I wouldn't overthink it I think you did a great job right I absolutely agree well not in this challenge of no, course but generally <laughs> let's get on to the showstopper that's a bit <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Becca said at the beginning in her little interview oh I felt it would be twills Tool, how would you pronounce it? Felt it would be, and I thought, well, oh, well, maybe if she felt it was, maybe she should have practiced a bit more. Um, oh dear, sort of god, the claws came out there, what? didn't they? Sorry, Becca, I didn't, Goodness I didn't me. mean it, but I mean, if you felt it was, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, they haven't included all the other times that people thought it was things that it wasn't. In Biscuit Week, they're like, "What do you think the technical's going to be?" And I'm like, "I'm just sure it's going to be macaron," and of course, it wasn't. Yeah, of course, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, so, um, this is one one time it came up. Oh dear, yeah, probably. But I loved Ruby's comment. I will not be thwarted by a sodding French biscuit. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the spirit. Actually, she was thwarted by a sodding French biscuit. However, I love the comment. I think it was the most positive she's been, actually. (laughs) It really was. Um, And Kimberly at the end, she's like, I've learnt today how a tweel should be. That's useful. (laughs) She did. You carry on, love. You carry on. I liked Howard's comment as well. They were more like fag butts. (laughs) Cigars. I thought that was funny. Yes, we should just clarify. Cigarette butts. Yes, cigarette butts. Yes, Yes, sorry. For those, yes, who might misunderstand. (laughs) Americans, it's, it's confusing. So the technical did prove very tricky for a lot of people as well. So it wasn't just you, Howard. It was definitely a tricky challenge. And the rating went as follows. We had Howard, unfortunately, down at the bottom in eighth position. Kimberly was seventh. Ruby was sixth. Becca, fifth. Rob was fourth. Third was Francis. Second was Glenn. And first was Christine. Now, Christine's comments were even bake, nice and thin, and a good snap. So that's very good. How thin do you have to spread these? Very. About about a millimetre or two, like very, very thin. Ooh, very thin. Yeah. But I have to ask, Howard, just out of morbid curiosity, forgive me for bringing up this trauma again, but you had a not great signature and then came bottom of the pack in the technical. Now, when that happened to me... I just sort of completely broke down and fell to pieces. How were you feeling in this moment? Were you just like, oh my God, I'm going home? Or how would you... I got a bit of determination, which is very strange for me. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I was... They didn't show it, but actually as we went into the showstopper, I was just like going, come on. You know, kind of willing myself to do... it, It was one of those bakes which I'd never actually done... In, you know, a complete one at home. Oh, right. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of done bits of it and, you know, attempted to do one. Up until a few days before this particular episode, I was ready for kind of phoning up and saying, I don't think I can do this, particularly on the showstopper. So I thought I'll be all right with the signature and the technical uh, whatever that is but when it comes to showstopper I don't think I can do it so I, I it, it kind of 
infused me or enthused me with the desire, I suppose, to just plough on, really. Oh, good, good. Because I, I, that's the yeah. spirit. I said some under the pressure. Some people in sort of lights a proverbial fire under their bums, and some people crumble. And I have to say, I crumbled in mine. So I was very <laughs> impressed that you kept fighting, Howard. It was, uh, it was an impressive showing. We will leave the horrors of the technical behind and we shall move on to some questions. Uh, thank you, everybody, who's written in with all your fabulous, fabulous questions. And let us get started. We have a question from Richard in Palm Springs in California. He says, of the Great British Bake Off themed podcasts, yours is the best. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, That's Richard. That's a question. <laughs> it is. The question What a lovely out. question. We love those questions. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> Next. <laughs> He says, you have some wonderful behind-the-scenes stories and your thoughts about each show are enjoyable to hear. And I've just finished watching Howard's season, so I'm delighted to hear that you're walking through each of these episodes. And the question follows, I don't have a proving drawer in my home kitchen, and I don't think many people do. I have mixed results getting dough to rise properly, so what's the best way to replicate a proving drawer in a home kitchen? Right. You live in Palm Springs. Just cover it and leave it outside. (laughs) (laughs) They've had a bad winter over there. So let's be... But but when the temperature is low, let's... uh, In the summer, it's like 40 outside all the time. And in the winter, it's like 25. Just leave it outside, Richard. What are you talking about? I happen to have uh, the surface above my dishwasher gets incredibly warm. So I just, you'll find that there'll be warm spots somewhere around your kitchen. That's what I would do with it. So Dan, it that really is helpful because you've actually it is. better insulated home appliances. I think it's not really helpful, is it? Um, I mean, it's like me saying I stick mine on top of my bin because it's right next to a radiator. I mean, That's not quite the same, Jane. It is. It is quite the same. Um, I mean, how often, I, you know, do you have to set your dishwasher running when you want to make bread? Honey, I got two kids. The dishwasher is on all the time. <laughs> how would you say things now? <laughs> I always say don't put it anywhere warm. I, I was brought up, my mum used to put bread in in the kind of airing cupboard or somewhere like that you know and and actually you run the risk if you if you kind of warm things up too quickly that one that it's going to deflate so what i tend to do is just put it somewhere that's that's out of a draft you don't want it in a you know necessarily cold place but just so long as it's not in a draft it's covered it's in an ambient kind of uh, temperature you leave it until it is it's basically proved until it's i don't know why i went up really high there proved, proved. <laughs> it'll prove basically at any temperature but i i always say don't rush it don't put it on top of a radiator or don't put it anywhere where it's going to inflate and then run the risk of deflating quite quickly well, you're absolutely right Howard. and of course the longer it takes to prove the more flavor you get into it that's the thing. But if you are in a hurry and you haven't got a bin near a radiator. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I just, it's, yeah, anyway. I have a huge Ziploc plastic bag. So you can put it in one of those to keep it out of the draft. Or turn your oven on, which is what we try to do sometimes when we're doing donuts in a class because we obviously only have two hours and we do a double proof on donuts. Turn the oven on to its very lowest setting. For for my oven, it's 40 degrees centigrade. Once it's got a little bit warm, turn it off, but leave the light on in there. Make sure it's well covered so it doesn't dry out. And then pop it it in that sort of draft-free, slightly warm space. So you you can do that, but you don't need a proving drawer. You absolutely don't need a proving drawer at all. No, you don't. I mean, it is is a... Bread rises. Uh, the factors are obviously a bit of heat helps, but it's time. And if you if you can leave it, then just leave it. And you know, a lot of, uh, for example, when you're making sourdough, um, you will often leave it in the fridge overnight to develop a stronger, more sort of sour flavour. So um, yeah, you don't need a proving drawer. Most people in England do not have proving drawers. It's a very niche thing, and it's also for the fact that you know you have time limits and you can't use the excuse of it's a cold day. You need to be able to prove it. But yeah, 
I have do not have a proving draw at home, and I just wait. I don't think they were even called proving draws before Bake Off. I think they were kind of plate warming draws. Right? It could be. Right. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Were they? Yeah, and I, I think, think so. people. Somebody saw that they had another use. Yeah. Put them in your hostess oh. trolley. Does anybody <laughs> remember <laughs> hostess trolleys? That would be actually. If I had one, I'd probably use it for warming plates more than I would for proving bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I'm about to make some focaccia for supper tomorrow night, and mine's going to stay in the fridge for 24 hours before I finally bring it out and finally prove it. So, yes, you can do it in any temperature. It's just a matter of time. So if you're in a hurry, slightly warm your oven, and then, but don't keep the temperature constantly at 40. Turn it off so it's just... It's slightly above um, room temperature, but as like the guys have said, if you've got the time, just wait. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for your question, and I hope you're going to make some fabulously proved bread. Now we have another question here from Ali in Raleigh, North Carolina. She also has praise for the podcast, which is great. Thank you very much. She says, I'm thrilled you're doing a rewatch of Series 4. You four are a great team. I listen to the podcast every week, and it's great to hear your takes on older seasons of The Bake Off that I enjoy so much. So thank you very much for that, Ali. We enjoy bringing it to you. And she says, instead of a question, I'd like to share a hump about how Paul and Mary treated Francis this season. The judges criticised her style of a substance so harshly, especially in the quarterfinals, that they made her question the way she baked. But good for Francis for proclaiming that she was not going to change her process for them. Even in the semi-finals, Mary scoffed when Francis began to describe the vegetable garden theme of her canapes, but both judges ended up loving the result. And then in the final, they complimented Ruby by comparing her pie to something Francis would have done, so very mixed messages. Obviously, Francis triumphed in the end and was right to listen to her intuition and continue to be herself. I agree with what you all said in the first podcast episode that the visual standard Francis established changed Bake Off moving forward. Do we think that this is something they're still doing? I mean, we've, we have mentioned in this episode a bit earlier on that they keep getting at Francis for being style of a substance. I think it's just uh, Francis's artistic vision was always so strong. They sort of, I think the judges considered that she'd made that her priority rather than the baking. And I think that's what they didn't want her to do. They wanted her to, to make the baking the priority and the sort of design, the sort of secondary aspect to it. And I, I would tend to agree with that, but that speaks to what I care about. And I care a lot about the technique, the baking technique rather than I do about the artistic vision. So, but I dare say there's a happy medium. Would you say, Howard? Yeah, I think so. But I'd, I have to say that I think with Francis... We've talked about in earlier episodes how we don't get to see in this particular series, certainly in, in, in the earlier episodes, what's actually going into people's bakes. So we have to rely an awful lot on what we see visually. We don't get the kind of rundown about ingredients or techniques or, or anything like that. And Frances was incredible on on some of her techniques and things but we just didn't get to hear about them oh, that's really interesting isn't it because I, th- I you're right we haven't really seen enough about flavors and things and i didn't write down what francis biscuits was in this showstopper challenge were, were made of and you sort of go back and look and think oh did i miss that or and we've we've done that with a lot haven't we we've gone back and gone do we know what the flavors were on that or what the techniques were and i just think sometimes they get a bee in their bonnet we mustn't forget that although it is a baking program it's not an instructional baking program we can't taste it. We haven't got some super chef going, mm, yum, this is delicious. And it tastes of chopped coriander and, and elephant's toenails or something. Note, Paul and Mary are not super chefs. Just Jane's just throwing it out there. No, 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 <laughs> you know, no, no, that's not what I mean. You know, <laughs> shut up. Dan. Um, it, we mustn't forget it is reality TV and it's entertaining and you don't want to look at something boring. I will be the first one to say taste trumps everything. So if you're a home baker and you turn out a delicious cake, don't worry about making it look like a showstopper because people won't come back to something that doesn't taste nice, but they want to eat. They want to eat first and foremost. 
But on a television show like this, we do want to see something gorgeous, don't we? We want to see something a bit interesting. We want to see something to spark our own imagination. So they have to strike a balance. Now, I've never tasted any of Francis's stuff, but I remember when I watched the show first time round, how impressed I was with her artistic ability. I think it's gone a little bit too far now. Uh, we, we concentrate constantly on whether whatever they're making looks like I don't know, I don't know, a garden lawnmower or something. I thought they were particularly hard on Francis, but Howard should be the one to tell us what her food tasted like. But if they weren't then tasting each other's food, we can't even get an insight on that, can we? Well, thank you, everybody, for your questions. Thank you, Ali and Richard. Prompted a lot of debate there, which is always fun to have. So now we lead into the showstopper. Now the showstopper we had this time was a biscuit tower, minimum 30 centimetres tall with lots of lovely decorative biscuits. And we had four hours to do that. Now leading off our last question we just had there about being a bit hard on Francis, do we think they were a bit harsh on Francis again when they just talked about you just made a stack of biscuits? Wasn't that the challenge? Well, right. Okay. So first of all, this episode was a fantastic showcase for Mel's awkward glances, which I enjoyed a lot. (laughs) That was the highlight of the episode for me. But one thing I thought that was a very fair criticism of Francis's showstopper was that uh, Paul said, uh, the biscuits are beautiful and everything, but it's, you know, collapsed four hours and you've made a load of biscuits. Okay. And yes, the challenge was to make a biscuit tower. But I think if you look at Francis, which was just sort of a stack of biscuits, and there wasn't much structure to it, and you compare it to something like Howard's, which I thought was absolutely magnificent. I thought you absolutely outdid yourself there, Howard. And I love the way you had the biscuits dripping over the edge of the tin that then created the upward spike. So that was inspired. Some like simple technique, but really effective. So I thought that was fantastic. So yours, I felt, fit the brief. And I know you struggled with understanding the brief, Howard, on some of these signatures. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I thought you 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 understood exactly what they were looking for in the brief. And that was beautiful and had a good style to it. But it was also structural and filled the brief and showed four hours worth of work where I would say Francis's didn't. And yes, you could say, oh, it's a shame it fell over. And yes, it is. But then having one stick going through the centre of everything is not a good structural component. And was that stick edible? Maybe it was edible. I don't know. Basically, almost like a breadstick, like a biscuit breadstick so very very fragile in the first place so yeah not really a good good plan i mean like artistically lovely but not really a very good good plan how did you feel you'd done howard did you feel you all stacked up well or were you impressed by anyone else's i think you get to that point where i also because i was at the back of the, of this of the um tent and there was a microwave or something just in the corner just behind me and people kept running across the, the tent to the microwave. And you, you'll know that the floor in the tent is actually like a sprung floor. So if people it's a bit wobbly. To, yeah, it's <laughs> wobbly. And you're trying to construct a biscuit tower with people running backwards and forwards to the microwave. I'm just thinking, this is a nightmare. But, <laughs> but I, I thought... Well, if it's holding up okay and people are running backwards and forwards, I've I've achieved some structural stability here. I thought it was just genius. It was brilliant. From from the very first design, I thought it was going to be structurally sound. I just thought the whole thing was so clever. Do you you know, the reason why I I almost phoned up and said I'm not coming this week is because I the stupidity of, of, of... It was a typical Howard moment. Uh, When I was doing a practice run of this, I was measuring out the individual biscuits, sort of seven centimetres by seven centimetres, cutting them out. And then I'd get the next one, seven centimetres by seven centimetres. And I suddenly thought, do you know if I cut a template out for these... I don't need to measure each one individually. <laughs> and it's like, I must have saved myself at least an hour doing that. <laughs> 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 Tell me, what was your third tea flavour? I'd got Earl Grey, green tea. Did you have a third? Yeah, I'd got four tea flavours. So the green tea was the little 
the little upturned roofs. So, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I'd got a an Earl Grey Lapsang Souchong and a ro- Rose Pouchong. Uh, oh, I didn't get those. Yeah, no, I don't think they mentioned it. Yeah. Although uh, Mary said it was a boring flavour. Yes. Did you feel like reaching across the table and punching her on the nose? <laughs> you can't say that. You can't say. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I. It it wasn't boring because Paul had already said, hadn't he, that I'd been very clever in getting that subtle tea flavour. Yeah, it's like no, it's got flavour. <laughs> Might be subtle. What's boring about it? That was a very odd thing to say. Oh. Mm. I... Well, there, there were some slightly odd comments from Mary all the way through, um, or maybe it was Paul. I can't remember. I think Ruby's. I think going back to Ruby's signature, it was like excellent, but the textures are wrong. <laughs> And that was all we got. Yeah. It was like, do you yes. want to? I mean, maybe he did elaborate in the uh, in the tent, but we didn't get to see why. Odd comments. Oh, flavour's excellent, that was. Flavour's excellent, but textures are wrong. Mm. So, I mean, you can, to be fair, you can have you can have that. Yeah, but I thought there was an edge to Mary this week. I, I thought to say it was boring was mean. I think she was getting a bit tired. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, but yeah, tea is supposed to have a delicate flavour. You don't want to be like if it's too much, it's going to be all bitter and unpleasant. So mm. I loved your timing, your comic timing, Howard. You probably didn't even intend it, but when you were, it's like, well, people seem to be impressed. <laughs> was my mum and dad? That was yeah. I thought was uh, that was cute. Yeah, it was really cute. Now, for this showstopper, we did miss a bit of information that I actually gleaned from Wikipedia um, when it came to the flavours of Rob's biscuits. I don't think we got a lot of information on that or on Becca's biscuits either. But yet there was a 12-second pause between the judges tucking into Ruby's showstopper and then them having their comments. So... We could have taken some of that yeah. time back. Yeah. 12 seconds. Did you time I, it? I timed it. I timed <laughs> it. It was so long. I think I noticed a big pause, actually. I did wonder about that. Really long. Really long. So I wonder what season it'll be before we get everybody's uh, <laughs> everybody's information for their showstopper. I think Rob's were chocolate and then, like, citrus, lemon and orange. Yeah. I think oh, were they? they were. Okay. Yeah, yeah I haven't but written Rob's, anything down. I was shocked, but I thought Rob's looked amazing, but it seemed like they did not like the biscuits at all. I think it was partly to do with, although he'd created the structure, which was, you know, on brief and everything, the way that he'd, he'd kind of stuck it together was there was a lot of kind of edible glue in there wasn't there was and that isomalt yeah and then yeah. and then fondant as well so you weren't even getting all of the sense of the st- of the tower of biscuits it was it was covered with with fondant wasn't it it's a hard balance to strike because uh, you know the delicious biscuits like kimberly made the viennese worlds they're not don't have the structure and that was uh, i think those were two people who made the wrong choices at other or at the other ends of the spectrum kimberly sort of went for the lovely flavors and textures and they, they did not serve the structure and rob conversely uh, made a wonderful structure, but the biscuits were not delicious. So uh, I don't think either of them uh, bathed themselves in glory in this showstopper. I think Rob's card was marked from the day before, really, because do you? Paul said it was scruffy. Yeah, I think so. Paul said, oh, I can't remember the exact word he used, but he just said it was a bit scruffy or a bit... And I thought, frankly, it doesn't look any more scruffy than... Um, you know, Glenn's didn't look perfect. I wanted to sort his icing out, and Kimberly certainly didn't. And I just, I, I just got the impression that already they thought that Rob was going home because it was a pretty impressive Dalek. I wouldn't have used edible glue. The, the isomalt, there is no flavour at all. Make, make some caramel if you want to stick it together, or use royal icing. I so that 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 stuff is just for making fancy decorations and not sticking edible things together. It's not for eating, is it? It's not for eating. I mean, it's edible, but it's not for eating. But actually, the edible glue you buy online is very useful for sticking flowers on cakes and things like that. However, Mm. that's something completely different. I just, I thought it looked great. So there was either a problem with his recipe when he sent it in, in which case surely somebody would have said, we really need to see all the biscuits, or it was acceptable and... 
and I thought it looked great. And it was such a such a shame. I thought that he, I don't. Mary was a bit harsh as well, saying that he hadn't actually improved as he went along. He had sort of started at a high level and and non got not gone anywhere. Um, I just thought they were a bit mean to Rob this time. I, sometimes I find the visual critiques really inconsistent. I thought the, the Dalek looked great. I didn't think it looked clumsy at all. I thought it looked wonderful. Oh, clumsy, but, that was the word, yes. But then there was, I'm not going to say who or what it was, but there was someone on my season, they're baking it up, and I remember thinking it looked absolutely awful, and the judges praised how beautiful it was. So, you know, sometimes I'm just really confused about what they're seeing that I'm not seeing. But, you know, it, it, obviously beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's all subjective and everything else. But I thought that Dalek was great. Uh, I don't really know what their problem was. I wonder again if uh, the editing of the show does come into play here. Since the editors know that Rob's going home, they sort of pick his worst comments to show. Oh, of course. So for the viewer, it looks like he's going home this week. We've seen his bad comments. We're not surprised. But I got to the end of the episode and I genuinely didn't know who was going home. Um, and I dare say, like, when you're there, it's easy. I mean, I know because I was there once. When you're there, it's much easier to keep track of who's doing well and who's doing badly. But as a viewer, I had no idea who was going home. And I thought Kimberly was going home. But obviously, because I've seen the whole show, I knew that she obviously wasn't. Uh, and I couldn't remember who had gone home that week. And I thought, well, it's definitely not Howard because I know Howard gets further. But I couldn't I couldn't figure out who was going. I re- I was sh- I was actually shocked. I, you say that you do know in the tent, but how many times have we said we look back and watch the edit and go, oh, goodness, I didn't realise I was in the danger spot. So I don't think yeah. you always do know when you're in the tent. I mean, you have some idea. I thought Francis, because it was going, because, you know, in the end, she did not fulfil the brief. Her 30 centimetres fell apart because of a sort of slightly dodgy design. And it, in our year, and a poor old Val went home because she didn't manage to get everything out of the oven and on the thing. So she didn't, she didn't produce the quantity that was supposed to be there. Francis, I don't think, achieved the brief. So that should have trumped everybody who did achieve the 30 centimetres, in my opinion. So you just don't know on what criteria they always judge. Francis had had already done pretty well in the technical and had actually done well in the signature. Oh, yeah, she did that, yeah. Rob had a really bad signature, but I was still, I was surprised. I was surprised. I think it gets to the stage where actually they're all pretty close, aren't they? And it's hard for anybody to go home and and we know how hard it is to pick sometimes. I want to do a shout out for Glenn's um, macarons. Mm. Oh, uh, spellings everywhere and pronunciations oh God, everywhere. Yeah. Macaroons, <laughs> but his macaron looked amazing, amazing, didn't they? He obviously dried them long enough. They popped up. They were beautifully smooth. I, somebody said they were exceptional, uh, and they were. I thought they were excellent, and I thought it was very sweet with Becca saying. Because he wanted to put some raspberry powder on it, and she said, "Oh, that might burn." You know, put it on afterwards. So it's the first real bit of helping each other out in the tent. I thought that was very sweet because I, I'm throwing shade at myself here. If I had a good trick up my sleeve, I might not have led him down the wrong path, but I probably wouldn't have told him my good trick. <laughs> well, that's because I mean? you're mean. That's because you're so mean. I know. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, I thought that was very sweet of her, actually. Very sweet of her. Yes, but I, I do l- too. They both produced really, really nice macaron. And yeah, uh, Jill was quite surprising was that uh, Glenn said he wasn't very good at them. He wasn't a master of them. And yet his were beautiful. They looked stunning from the outside. They weren't hollow. They were a bit chewy, but not crazy chewy. I think he really nailed those. Um, I didn't love the overall view of his Helter Skelter. But after, you know, the, the sort of quality of the biscuits that he produced, I wasn't surprised that he was safe because that's, that is tricky to do. That is a lot of technique and skill there. Glenn did a great job, actually. And the macaron, the macaron were fantastic. Um, but we haven't talked about Christine's. I mean, it, it, Christine, I think, did an absolutely stunning job. When you look at the, the wonderful Tom Hovey illustrations, you think, well, it's not going to look like that, is it? And her 
final bake looks like the illustration. You know, it was, I wouldn't have liked lavender. I've never actually tried cooking with lavender, to be honest. I just, <gasps> um, oh, no, it, it doesn't appeal. Um, uh, uh, I know, I know you it's, guys like it. It's nice with lemon. Maybe it is. I don't know. I just thought her clock was stunning. Stunning. She got it finished. It looked beautiful. Um, they said flavours were good and the texture was excellent. Yeah, good on Christine. She had a stonkingly good week, didn't she? She did. Do you know what I loved about hers as well? And this is no shade to you, Howard. But um, hers was constructed and tall, but it came apart. You didn't have yes. to, like, unglue yeah. everything. Yeah. And I thought that yeah. was inspired because not only was it beautiful, but you could actually comfortably, easily eat it. And I thought that was genius. And I loved the little top section. I thought that was amazing. So I thought others were maybe more structurally interesting, but it was actually really edible in terms of you could you could serve that and it would be it would work right because you know what it's like when you make a cake or whatever and someone's like oh i don't want to ruin it i don't want to take i don't want to damage it it looks too good to eat i hate that by the way don't ever say that to a baker it looks too good to eat please don't ever say that but <laughs> but but some of the you know like to eat how it you kind of wouldn't have to start snapping it apart and destroying it uh with christine you could sort of take it apart a little bit at a time without ruining the lovely top piece so i loved that i thought that was inspired and again I probably wouldn't have thought of that. Although she, she like, uh, like me had used royal icing, hers was just decorative, wasn't it? So it was just the little snow drips. The, you, you're absolutely right. The, the construction, the brick construction um, was independent. So you could take pieces away. Yeah. Jenga. It was like Jenga. So what do you guys think of Ruby's, the upside down ice cream? I think I needed some. I needed them to say it was like an upside down ice cream for me to go. Oh, well, that's what it is. Yeah, I did, I think the visual wasn't as strong as maybe, but it looks like the elements were good in and of themselves. So, oh, we'll have to take take the judge's word for that. Comment here <laughs> when she was using her hands to stick whatever that pink stuff was. Was it icing or something? To to get together, she was saying, "Well, because it's round, I can't use a palette knife." So she was getting handfuls of this pink stuff and slapping it all together don't we decorate cakes and round cakes and use palette <laughs> knives i wasn't sure that i liked her technique no also so you can get if you need to do like a rounded edge you can get you can use a little bit of acetate to sort of bend to smooth it or you know you get bench scrapers you get little kidney bean shaped ones that are flexible and you can bend and you can use yes. those to shape yes it's just a little bit, I mean, listen, no one's going to see if you're doing it alone in your kitchen, but it's a little bit more hygienic to uh, just use uh, something with a rounded edge to smooth out. So, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the most attractive. I don't want to think of, I mean, Ruby's fingers dragging all through it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting technique. It made me yeah, sometimes smile. you have to remember that it's going to be on TV and people are going to yeah. see it and think maybe, yeah. maybe not. Fortunately, they didn't show us her licking her fingers, which might have equally have put me on. <laughs> but uh, it was an interesting technique. Well, I think we have mentioned everybody there and uh, we've we've sort of alluded to, if you listen very closely, we've alluded to who goes home uh, this week. Uh, and of course, it was Rob. He didn't have, well... He didn't have the best baked signature, let's say, and his ranking in the technical uh, was actually pretty good. He came, he was middle of the pack, so that was actually pretty good, but then apparently his Dalek biscuits were okay and bland. So it was time for Rob to say goodbye, unfortunately, but his his parting comments were lovely. He said he wanted to win Starbaker once, not get kicked out in week one, and win a technical and he did all that. And that was really, really sweet uh, that he managed to tick off his bucket list before he said goodbye. Howard, you got some interesting comments from Mary as well, didn't you, at, at the, the end? end did like, you were dead, dead lucky. lucky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Mary. Right. <laughs> Consider yourself told. Yeah. Um, oh, 
looking back at it now, I think it was a fair decision. He messed up the technical aspect of the signature and he messed up the technical aspect of the showstopper. So I kind of get the reasoning. But I also think that was a very believable moment from Rob. I had sort of similar aspirations. I was like, if I can get Starbaker once and I can make it more than, you know, I can make it halfway through the competition, I'll like, I'll leave with my dignity. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll do the good enough job. And you know that the chance of you winning are pretty small. I mean, Jane would disagree, obviously. Jane was like, oh, I nearly no, won. I no, I wouldn't. I but I think that was that was very real. I didn't hope to be first in technical as well. I thought asking for Starbaker was also pushing it. Uh, but yeah, I think that was that's nice. And you can leave with the dignity of feeling proud of what you've done in the tent. So um, yeah, fair play to Rob. Um, but it was a shame to see him go. But I think I think overall, uh, yeah, pro- probably the right decision. And of course, the lovely Christine was our star baker, I believe, for the second time. Uh, her beautiful mixed berry and almond crumble got fantastic comments in the signature challenge. She did rather well in the technical, uh, coming first, so that's very good. And she had, a, as we've said, a beautiful showstopper. Um, and uh, I think Mary picked her up on everybody having an equal portion of shortbread when they tucked into it. So Mary definitely picked up on that as well. So all glowing positive comments for Christine. A deserved star baker, do we think? Yes, I mean, I think absolutely. Christine was amazing. So very well deserved. And I think, you know, at the end, you didn't go, well, it could have been. No, no, it was Christine all the way for me this time. Well, do you know, I thought I, I thought it could have been Glenn because I think Glenn did pretty well he did in technical. Well. And if he, the, the techniques that he managed to get in that Tiffin Trebek thing were, were amazing. And obviously, mm. he did pretty well in in the showstopper as well, but uh, but just not quite, Christine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Sorry, I need more coffee. So there we go. We lose Rob, but we get another star baker in Christine for biscuits and tray bake week. Uh, not something I think we've repeated in later series. We've just stuck with biscuits, but uh, we'll get our tray bake in there somehow. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. As always, Jane, Dan and Howard, thank you so much for joining us. Do not forget to join us for our lots of online classes we have and especially for Dan's Bakewell Tray Bake and Tweel Cigars class on Sunday the 2nd of April. We also have lots of fabulous online classes so please do check out our website at bakewellthelegend.com and click on our online classes. And don't forget you can use the code PODCAST to get 10% off your next class. So Dan, Jane and Howard, we'll see you all next week and everybody listening as well, see you soon. Bye-bye. You just heard a stripped media production.